Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. See, I, I don't know how you were raised, but I know how I was raised and I know how my producer Sharina were raised. We were raised that unless there was like a life altering event taking place you go to work you are tasked to do something each and every day in your workplace and I know that this is a week this is a a month where the news is just happening so quickly and I woke up this morning well first and foremost I went to bed at eight o'clock last night that is not normal for me but I felt like Something was coming on, and I said, if I go to bed early, then maybe I can, you know, sort of stop this before it blossoms. And so that's what I did. I woke up at 5.15, and I felt horrific. I was, first of all, drenched um, because I had a fever. And so I got up for a little while, did some prayer and meditation, came into my studio to prepare my morning recording, and just literally my head dropped onto my chest. And I didn't cry, but I thought about it, you know. And I said, I just don't feel well. And I returned to the bed and then fitfully spent the next couple of hours just tossing and turning and trying to stay abreast of what was going on. You know, they picked someone to run for the speaker, Well, they did. So I can't just sign off. I don't have the kind of job where I can like go hide in a corner and say, well, today I'll just, uh, I'll just push around papers and catch up on some filing. It doesn't work like that. Today I'm embroiled or in the middle of some of the most frightening events that have happened in my lifetime. And I've been through 9-11, I've been through the Oklahoma City bombing, I've been through the OJ trial, I know none of those seem to line up, but they're very dramatic events to have to cover and be on the air. So I understand, you know, I've been through other military actions in the Middle East. I've been through our troops in the Middle East fighting wars. So none of this is foreign to me, but it's certainly requires a a, a consistent watching of the news. I don't get to take the day off. I just don't. My producer, she's so wonderful. And she said, look, I'll, I'll put something together. You just stay in bed. And I couldn't because even staying in bed meant I was looking at these stories and I was formulating my opinions about these stories. And I, I just uh, couldn't stay in bed. So I, 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 prayed that I would get the strength to do one hour today, and I appears like I got it. Now, what happens at the end of this hour? 
I'm going back to bed. And I have obligations tonight, but they will have to, I can put them aside much more easily than I can put aside this one hour. So uh, I'm here. If my voice sounds a little um, slow or, or low or whatever, please bear with me because it's not ugly. It's just, uh, it's just quiet. I can't, I can't shout like I want to, in spite of the fact that this is shouting time. This is praying time. Israel is now involved in multi-fronts. This is, to me, so frightening. The artillery forces had to strike in Syria because rocket fire from Syria was coming out onto the Golan Heights last night. So sirens were sounding in towns like Bnei Yehuda and Givat Yoav, to the east of Lake Kinneret. And these are not just names. These are places that I look up on the map to see what's going on. The IDF said two rockets were launched at Israel from Syria. And fortunately, they fell in open fields. But if you think that the IDF won't target the terrorist cell that fired these anti-tank missiles at Israel from within Lebanese territory, uh, think again. They responded with artillery forces to anti-tank fire directed at the northern border towns of Shutla and Minara. The IDF destroyed the weaponry that was used to launch the missiles. If they wanted to pick a fight, they got one. And if they all want to jump in, then they will, they will all suffer the consequences. Because as I've told the story many, many times before, it's different when you're fighting a war and the co-pilot in your bomber jet is God himself. And that's pretty much the way I look at any war that Israel's involved in. They have a very powerful advocate, God himself. So, you know, I, I'm just furious and frantic when I listen to the squad and these so-called Americans who try to minimize the horror of what happened on October 7th. There's no minimizing of it. You know, I love Amari Stoudemire. I wish I could play the piece that he recorded where he literally told everybody to, you know, the F word off, who, who tried to mitigate or minimize what's been going on in Israel. He's a born-again Jew. Is there, That's not really the right expression, but he is, uh, he is Jewish now. Um, a black NBA ball player, and he's furious that BLM and groups like that really uh, took took the worst position, the wrong position on this. Now, the military chiefs in Israel, and mind you, I still know a few people who are in the military in Israel, and in particular, I know two advisors who are there, and they're not happy with Prime Minister Netanyahu, who keeps delaying this ground invasion of Gaza. Now, trust me, this would be the most horrific urban combat place that they could possibly go into. I think it was referred to as the devil's playground by one of the uh, military experts. But for the IDF to go into this Gaza, especially after listening to one of the freed hostages an 85-year-old woman who describes how she lived through first being abducted from her home, she along with her husband 
and a neighbor, and she and the neighbor, Nurit Cooper, were released. They the third and fourth hostages released of the more than 200 that were kidnapped by Hamas. Her husband, who's 83 years old, is still being held hostage. And so last night, Hamas released a video that appeared to show the moment they were released to uh, Red Cross, International Red Cross representatives. And the footage shows Lifshitz confirming her age and name before leaving and then turning to a masked Hamas militant and shaking his hand and saying shalom, which means peace. And when she was asked why she had extended such a gesture to one of her captors, Lifshitz said she did so because they treated us very nicely. Now, they threw her on a motorcycle. This 85-year-old woman, when she was captured, was literally thrown on a motorcycle. I venture to say she's never even been on a motorcycle before, but she certainly has never been thrown across one. But somehow, these militants, um, they, they were nice. They, they treated her very nicely. Now, I don't know if it's a different group of militants who ran into the kibbutzes and the music festival than the ones who are guarding them. I don't know. But how do you believe for a second that she did not do that because she was instructed to do it or else they'll kill her husband? I mean, come on. Anybody who, who buy, who's buying this, uh, you know, they were really nice to us stuff. This after she describes how she was taken to a spider's web, that's her term, spider's web of tunnels below Gaza. She was beaten with sticks. This is what she said. She was beaten with sticks as she was taken by motorcycle from the kibbutz Niroz on October 7th, and then she was released with her 79-year-old neighbor, Nurit Cooper, making them just three and four of hostages released. They were nice? Okay, yeah, anybody who's buying that? I got a, a, a piece of property I'd like to sell you. It's underwater. But unlike um, my friend Fane Lozman, I'm not pretending it's, you know, actually property you can build on. He's figured out a way you can build on property underwater. I haven't. So I'd like to sell you mine. Now, they released on, I guess it was Friday of last week, Judith Renan and her 17-year-old daughter, Natalie, and there are eight other members of that family still being held captive by Hamas. So now the daughter of Lifshutz, the one who was thrown on a motorcycle, taken through a spider web, but like these guys, her daughter Sharon helped to translate as she told reporters, now this is where it gets really bizarre to me. She told reporters she had been through hell over the course of the two weeks in which she was taken and held captive. They went rampant in our kibbutz, she said. I was taken hostage. They laid me on a motorcycle and sped through a thicket. She was, the Israeli grandmother said she was beaten along the way and struggled to breathe, adding that the Hamas militants took her watch and jewelry. She also then thought it would be a good idea to criticize failures in security by Israel that allowed her abduction to take place. 
They blew up the electronic fence, that special fence that cost $2.5 billion to build but didn't help with anything, she said. Masses mobbed our homes. They beat people, took some hostage. They didn't distinguish between young and elderly. It was very painful. I was taken through a network of tunnels. When we got there, they told us they are believers of the Quran, that they wouldn't harm us. None of this makes sense. But she has been through hell. And if you don't believe for a moment that the people who put her through hell aren't telling her and her all her family and all the rest of it, you can tell some parts, but don't tell all the parts. Or your husband goes. She said they went through a tunnel into a large room containing about 25 people. After about two or three hours later, five people from her kibbutz were moved to a separate room. They guarded us closely, she added. According to the BBC, she said there was a doctor and a paramedic underground in addition to her captors. She said the captives slept on mattresses on the floor in the tunnels below Gaza, which she described as clean, and said a doctor visited them every two or three days. One captive who had been seriously injured in a motorbike accident en route to the tunnels was treated for his wounds, she said. She said the hostages were given the same food as their captors, white cheese and cucumber. She also added that Hamas took care of every detail and even had women who knew about feminine hygiene. Livshitz's daughter Sharon told reporters that her mother feels the story's not over until everybody comes back. The scores of hostages still held by Hamas include her husband, Oded Lifshitz, a journalist who has spent decades campaigning for the rights of Palestinians, according to the BBC. Together with his wife, Oded co-founded the kibbutz, from which they were abducted and in recent years had volunteered for a group that transports six sick Palestinians from Gaza to Israeli hospitals for treatment. Keep treating your mortal enemies. Over a quarter of their kibbutz are considered dead or missing in the wake of the attacks, which claimed the lives of 1,400 Israelis in total. The Israeli government, which continues to retaliate for the attacks with massive strikes that officials in Gaza say may have killed more than 5,000 people, is now working to free the remaining hostages. And of course, our president has advised Israel don't do a ground invasion of Gaza. You've got to allow more time for hostage negotiations to take place and to allow humanitarian aid into the... That's right. Send them some money and all these things that they're desperately short of so that they'll be nice to the hostages uh, just before they kill them. Maybe it's me. And, and maybe I'm not being reasonable anymore. But the idea that anybody believes they're treating these hostages with dignity? Who captures old people? Not people who have any respect or, or, or think of old people with dignity. Oh, all right. Let me take a break. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can hear all the podcasts and participate in the contests and get the news reports. You would have known that... Uh, um, Representative Emmer is now the nominee for the House Speakership. Yeah, I know. You never heard of him. Let me take a break. I'll be right back. All right. So here's the uh, stupidest news I've ever read. The Biden administration is preparing for the possibility that hundreds of thousands of American citizens will require evacuation from the Middle East 
if the bloodshed in Gaza cannot be contained. The bloodshed in Gaza cannot be contained. Which part of cannot be contained are they wrestling with? The specter of an operation of mass evacuation of Americans out of the Middle East? I really want you to think about what that means. That means they know that there is going to be a ground offensive. That means that they know that there are going to be cross-border attacks from Hezbollah, from Syria, and who knows where else. So the officials who give this kind of, you know, an anonymous information to the various newspapers and, and websites, they know way more than you think. And they know that if they have family members living in Lebanon or living in Israel, they need to get them out of there. Meanwhile, that's not what the American Jews who are in Israel are doing. They're not only not leaving or asking to be evacuated, there are people leaving here to go there and fight. Because this is it. This is what the worst case scenario looked like for the Jewish people in diaspora. No Israel, no place to run. No Israel, no hope. When the pogroms started, and the pogroms started. No Israel, no hope. So, trust me, I know two people right now who got on flights, one went to, I think, went to Greece and another went somewhere else. They're going into Israel, however they can get there, and they're going into, you know, to fight. That's why they're going. They have fought before. There are lots of these uh, lone soldiers that live in America now but would go fight in a heartbeat, and they're proving it. They're leaving from all over the country, Chicago, uh, Miami. Of course, that does uh, point a particularly ugly finger at Bibi Netanyahu's son, who's here in Miami. And one would think would be one of the lone soldiers to go over there. But so far, that's not true. So now the concern in Lebanon is Hezbollah. This is a political party. This is a militant group that along with allies all being funded by Iran, currently controls the largest number of seats in the parliament. It entered into the parliament in 1992. It accepts training and weapons from Iran. It is absolutely planning on attacking Israel from the north because if you can create a two-front war, well, then you will stretch the Israeli forces beyond their abilities. There have been skirmishes along that border already. This is a real issue. So the Biden administration woke up the other day and said, wow, what if U.S. personnel and citizens in the region, in the Arab world, become embroiled in this? Because it's about to get worse. There's already regional fury at Israel you know, with its apartheid nonsense and the treatment of Palestinians nonsense. An issue that some officials, we didn't think it was going to still have that much importance in the Arab world, but we were wrong. 
because right now the street is in charge. Not the, the diplomats, not the politicians, the street. And we were told for the last 10 years that the Arab world and the Muslim world really didn't care about Palestine anymore. And the Abraham Accords were the proof of that. Well, Palestine has come back. If it ever really went away, I don't think it did. More than 5,000 people in Gaza, mostly civilians and children, have been killed because Israel is striking. What were they supposed to do? It's like the Hillary Duff or whoever, one of the Fox reporters, asked Ilhan Omar yesterday, like, what do you think? You don't think that Israel should fight over the fact that women were raped and old people were kidnapped and killed and, and 1,400 of their citizens were killed in the most brutal and horrible way. You don't think there should be a response? To which her reaction was, oh, when's it going to be enough? How many Palestinians have to die? Oh, I guess enough to make them stop. You know, all of a sudden I'm sitting here, oh, there's civilians and their children in Gaza. Well, there were civilians and children in Israel. And that did not stop these crazed lunatics. And slowing the invasion of Gaza, that's what they're calling it, the invasion of Gaza. No, 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 the response by Israel. But slowing that ground incursion into Gaza really uh, is none of America's business anymore. What's your contingency plan, though? That's what I'd be talking about. Are you going to get evacuate all the Americans out of that area? Kind of like you didn't evacuate the people out of Afghanistan. Don't have much faith in them. But people in that region should be getting nervous. I have a friend who just came back from Dubai a couple of days ago. And this all started when she was just leaving to go to Dubai. And I said to her, you know, I'll pray for you. But the last place I'd be going right now is anywhere in the Arab world. Just, you know, you're a U.S. citizen and you're in a country that may or may not decide it's on the side of the Hamas terrorists. You might want to rethink that, that little vacation of yours. Now, fortunately, she had a, a nice vacation and got back in time. But right about now, the State Department is issuing an advisory to people just like her, exercise increased caution. Why? Because there's increased tension in various locations around the world, which of course means there's potential for terrorist attacks and demonstrations and violent actions against U.S. citizens and U.S. interests. You've seen the demonstrations that have erupted in the Arab world. Wait a minute. You've seen the demonstrations that have erupted here. And if there is a U.S. evacuation of people from the Middle East, this will be one of the most difficult operations ever. It would involve sending in Air, for Air Force planes, Navy warships, all of which have surged to that region this month. You have 600,000 Americans in Israel alone. And I don't know how many Americans there are in Egypt, in uh, Syria, in Yemen, in Turkey, in Dubai, in Saudi Arabia, in Yemen. I don't know, but I'm guessing it's more than 600,000. So what are we talking about? An evacuation that that scale, that scope, that complexity? 
the the sort of advisories the State Department has put out lately have been pretty blunt. You know, the Pentagon too, they're bracing. I love when they say they're bracing for significant increase in attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East. Oh, really? You're bracing? We're, here's where we need Donald Trump because you don't have to brace as hard when they're afraid of the president. But when the president is mushhead, then you have to be afraid. You have to be afraid particularly of Iran because they're sponsoring every militant group in the world. Rockets and drones, they give it to them. Today I'm reading that uh, they're finding some of the hardware that the terrorists from Gaza are using is American. I don't know what that, where that's going to lead us, that bit of the news. Right now we haven't lost any U.S. personnel in any violence in Iraq. I, I, one guy had a heart attack, I think, in, in Iraq. But other than that, people at the uh, air base may be covering their heads at night, but uh, so far nothing. How long do you think they're going to continue down that path watching Joe Biden look like he's lost his mind? Well, he, whatever mind was left anyway. I got to take a break. And when we come back, I do, I do have to talk about what's going on in our Congress because it matters. And while it might not matter as much, it does matter and it will affect everything. And of course, now we're watching, you know, a number of people taking pleas in the Georgia case. I never doubted that they would. Even if you believe you're right. Who wants to go through what this uh, lunatic DA is putting people through? Attorneys, mind you, putting the attorneys of Donald Trump through all these, you know, nightmares. Yeah, I'm not surprised Jenna Ellis took a plea or Sydney. Quick break. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. So uh, now you have the mayor of Washington, D.C., who I have zero, zero respect for. She has now decided, Muriel Bowser, that criminals should not be wearing face masks while committing crimes. Now, mind you, D.C. is the city that scratched a law like that during the height of this COVID insanity. She says, obviously, our community's relationship around wearing masks has changed significantly since 2020, and thank God for that. But we've all seen the videos, the Democratic mayor said. So here's a nice heavy-handed response to the pandemic that she was responsible for, and then all of a sudden, violent crime goes up. We need to act now, she said. We need to send the strong message that violence is not acceptable in our city. And this perception that people have that you can commit a brazen crime and get away with it has got to stop, Bowser said Monday at a press conference. This legislation will help change that. 
You should be proud in your city that we give people one chance, two chances, three chances, but your chances can affect my safety. And that's what we're here to talk about. You can't make this stuff up. So she had the acting police chief, Pamela Smith, standing alongside of her. And they, they announced this Addressing Crime Trends Now Act, ACTNA, the ACNA, which will address recent crime trends. The mayor described several of the proposed changes as just plain common sense. Well, if it's just plain common sense, how come when people like me suggested these things, you called me a racist? After referencing a recent robbery involving four suspects wearing ski masks who emerged from a car and stole multiple items from people nearby, Mayor Bauer said the city needs to address that, but stressed that the proposed law would not apply to those wearing masks for their health. Okay, so if you're planning on committing a crime in D.C., Ski masks are out, but uh, medical masks are okay. Just make sure you put them above your nose so that no one can identify you. The Metropolitan Police Department continues to be a leader in fair and constitutional policing across this nation, the mayor says, which is why you have so much crime in D.C. Total violent crime is up 41% as of Monday. Total property crime is up 25%. This is all compared to last year. And robberies and motor vehicle thefts are up 70% and 102% respectively. We had two Democratic members of Congress attacked. You had Henry Cuellar, who was more upset that they took his sushi than that, that he was carjacked. And then you had Representative Angie Craig, the Democrat from Minnesota, she got assaulted in an elevator of her apartment building back in February. But hey, it's only the nation's capital. Why should it be any different than any other city where Democrats are in charge? It shouldn't be, and it isn't. It just isn't. And that's the kind of stuff that when you read these people and you realize that we have entrusted them with the safety and security of our nation's biggest and and well, let's face it, D.C. is one of the most important cities in the world. But hey, I don't want to confuse anybody and make you think it's that important because you know, it's only important to people like you and me. And now, of course, we have the drama that goes on in Washington. In case you don't know who he is, let me be the first to tell you all about Representative Tom Emmer, who has now been selected as the new House Speaker nominee. He's from Minnesota. He is the House Majority Whip. Kevin McCarthy has backed him, but he has an uphill battle because there's a whole bunch of Republicans who say that's not going to happen. They're not going to vote for him. They're not. Emmer can only afford to lose four Republicans, and 26 voted against him in a roll call vote right after he won the nomination. So they're going to reconvene today, now, probably doing it right now, and have Emmer meet with the holdouts to see what kind of 
concessions they can get, I guess, right? Because remember, the concession that they got when Kevin McCarthy was finally elected was that any single individual could have the chair vacate, which is why Kevin McCarthy had to vacate. So now you have Tom Emmer, the GOP House whip, and anybody out there who thinks that you're going to get the opposers to go along with this nomination really are not paying attention. Four, there's 26 who voted against him. How do you go from 26 to four? Well, they went from 26 to 10. And I'm, I'm going to call it. This is my you know, job. Donald Trump just came out against Tom Emmer in a post on Truth Social. So if Donald Trump is not going to get behind him, he hasn't got a prayer. And there's a good reason. You know, Tom Emmer voted against Donald Trump. And Tom Emmer likes to poke fun of the MAGA crowd, the you and me crowd. So, what do you think? You thought Donald Trump was going to go for a globalist rhino like Tom Emmer? He criticized a rally crowd when they chanted, send her back in Minnesota about Representative Ilhan Omar. Guess what? That's your colleague, Representative Emmer. And she speaks out against Israel and speaks out against the United States all the time. What are you defending her for? You should say send her back. The former president's posture on Emmer has shifted, according to two sources close to Trump. They have some bad history, but he said he was going to stay neutral, so we'll see. He's uh, claiming to be uninvolved and unfocused on the happenings in the House, of course, because he's busy in a courtroom trying to stare down Michael Cohen. I would have loved to see that, huh? Michael Cohen on the stand and Donald Trump sitting there can't make this stuff up. America, what, you know, where are we heading? I'm not, not feeling really good. Emmer's deputy whip says getting to 217 is an exercise that they're very comfortable with. Okay. That's what Guy Reschenthaler says. We'll see. And, and Scalise says he's going to do what he can. And McCarthy says he's going to do what he can. But Jim Banks is already saying, this guy ain't conservative. What are we doing here? Might as well have stayed with uh, Kevin McCarthy. Chip Roy, who supported Jim Jordan, won't even discuss why he voted present in the roll call vote. I'm not going to talk about how I voted, he said. Eh, this ain't going to happen either. All right, let me take a break. Don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson. And then... Uh, Joe Pags and Lars Larson and all the overnight crew. Um, I have just about made it through this hour in spite of the fact that I have a blinding headache and a hundred and well now it's a hundred and two temperature. It's a good thing I don't have to be in public, right? Because I look like crap. Uh, then tomorrow morning, Jen and Bill will be back <laughs> with the South Florida Morning Show. At 9 o'clock, it'll be Brian Kilmeade. At noon, Dan Bongino. And then I'll be back at 3 o'clock. Come, look, let me tell you this. 
neither rain nor snow nor hail nor sleet will ever stop Joyce Kaufman from being in front of the microphone. Stay right where you are. i got one segment left. Yeah. So the word is coming out from all over that uh, Emmer does not have the votes. I don't, I don't think he would. But uh, listen. I just, just watch. Great piece by Constantine Kissin in Free Press. And I'm just going to share part of it with you because it really, <clears throat> it sums up what I've been finding in my own world. Uh, when the Hamas terrorists crossed over the border with Israel and murdered all those innocent people and destroyed families and entire communities, they also shattered one of the you know delusions that progressives in the West have. A friend of, of uh, Constantine said that she woke up on October 7th as a liberal and went to bed that evening as a 65-year-old conservative. But it wasn't really a joke, and she wasn't the only one. So what changed? And the best way to answer that question is with the help of Thomas Sowell, one of the most brilliant public intellectuals alive today. In 1987, Sowell published A Conflict of Visions. In this now classic, I love this book, he offers a simple, uh, essay really is what it is, he offers a simple and powerful explanation of why people disagree about politics. We disagree about politics, Sowell argues, because we disagree about human nature. We see the world through one of two competing visions, each of which tells a radically different story about human nature. Those with unconstrained vision think that humans are malleable and can be perfected. They believe that social ills and evils can be overcome through collective action that encourages humans to behave better. To subscribers of this view, poverty, crime, inequality, and war are not inevitable. Rather, they are puzzles that can be solved. We need only to say the right things, enact the right policies, and spend enough money, and we will suffer those social ills no more. This worldview is the foundation of the progressive mindset. By contrast, those who see the world through a constrained vision, like me, lens, believe that human nature is a universal constant. No amount of social engineering can change the sober reality of human self-interest or the fact that human empathy and social resources are necessarily scarce. People who see things this way believe that most political and social problems will never be solved. They can only be managed. This approach is the bedrock of the conservative worldview. Hamas's barbarism and the explanations and celebrations throughout the West that followed their orgy of violence have forced an overnight exodus from the unconstrained camp into the constrained one. Many people woke up on October 7th sympathetic to parts of woke ideology and went to bed that evening questioning how they had signed on to a worldview that had nothing to say about the mass rape and murder of innocent people by terrorists. The reaction to the attacks from outwardly pro-Hamas protests to the mealy-mouthed statements of college presidents, celebrities, and CEOs has exploded the comforting stories many on the center-left have told themselves about progressive identity politics. For many years, they opted for the coping mechanism of pretending that the institutional capture of universities, corporations, and media organizations by the woke mind virus was no big deal. Sure, students shutting down events they disagree with is annoying, they would say, but it's just students doing what students do. 
October 8th was a wake-up call for those who didn't appreciate that the ideology of the campus has spread to our cities, supercharged by social media. We woke up on October 8th to the clamor of street protests in cities across the West condemning Israel even before any major Israeli response to the attacks. We watched celebratory crowds brandish swastikas and chant gas the Jews at events purporting to be at the loss of Palestinian lives. We saw Black Lives Matter chapters lionize terrorists. And this is what happens. You know, there, there comes a point when you have to accept responsibility for how you have fed into this despicable, really, proportionality nonsense that makes no sense in this case whatsoever. Anyway, I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, I plan on being back here tomorrow at 3 o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then I always say, may God bless you. May God bless the United States of America. And at this pivotal point in history, may God bless the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.